0: Hello everybody, welcome to 2 Guys 5 Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi.
1: This is Frank Pellicone,
0: And we are joined tonight by longtime friend and longtime friend of the podcast, Michael Bledsoe. Um, Mike, how are you doing tonight? Good, good.
2: How's everybody doing?
1: (laughs) Great.
0: Good. Uh, This is the beginning of a new series in the first half of the year um, that we're titling Movies Bledsoe Needs to See Before He Dies. Um, Morbid title. Um... But, um, you have been with us for a long time, uh, with the podcast, Mike, uh, let me take a guess. Do you know what episode you were first on the podcast with us?
2: Mm. Uh, was it
0: Goonies? It was. Yeah. Okay. Episode 13. Um, was that
2: pre COVID?
1: No, that's almost uh, like pre birth. right everybody- <laughs>
0: It was pre COVID. Um, oh, so we're on episode 203 <clears throat> now. You were on episode 13. That was November of 2018. 13. Wow. Okay. Yeah. November of 18 is when it was. Um, so, yeah. Uh, been around for a long time now. Five years ago, more than five years ago. Um, so, tonight's uh, first movie that uh, we're going to discuss that uh, Bledsoe watched is. 1965's Repulsion, directed by Roman Polanski. It stars Catherine Deneuve, Ian Hendry, John Frazier, and Yvonne Furneaux. Uh, We talked about this movie way back in episode 49, the top five psychological horror movies um, of all time. Um, So, Mike, I wanted to start with you, since you had never seen this before. Uh, First, How familiar are you with Polanski's filmography and Polanski kind of in general?
2: Uh, Do do you mind if I take a detour for a brief moment here? Sure. Um, I want to just talk about the format here for a second Mm -hmm. and talk about how this format came to be. Okay. Briefly. Yeah. So you guys, you guys have this, this perception or this assumption that I have never seen (laughs) very many movies. And that keeps coming up uh, over and over again, and I don't necessarily agree with that, but <laughs> <laughs> but I will um, I will admit that I have not seen very many R rated movies from the eighties. Mm-hmm. So um, I have seen RoboCop, <laughs> nice. but but I had not seen Halloween. I, nice. I, Halloween is Halloween seventies, seventies yeah seventy yeah. four yeah or, or or you know no. like any of the Jason movies or any of the slasher movies really mm-hmm. um but um but you guys seem to think that there are a lot of other movies that are that are missing from my repertoire so um so I guess I proposed in in the in the group thread one day that Frank should name how many how many movies did I say a hundred or fifty mm-hmm. something like that like Frank, name a hundred movies I should see before I die
0: is that right i can't remember like the that. specific number but
2: yeah something yeah. like yeah yeah so then from there we kind of thought well let's let's do a podcast episode about each of these movies so that's how we that's how we got yeah. here and frank gave me a list of five movies and i chose i think i chose the first one to be repulsion
1: so i gave I you a list i gave you a list of like 10 movies and said tell me which of these you." oh yeah yeah and then we whittled it down and then we did the five
2: um so if, if, I had, if I had to have picked um, or predicted what movie Frank would pick for the first podcast, it would be this one. Yeah, hmm. I just, I think that, um, I don't know why, but I think that Frank has kind of like a really deep love for these like 60s European thriller, psych- psychological thriller movies or something there. Um, and I think I've heard you talk about it uh, a bunch over, the, over the years. <clears yes. <clears <throat> um, or at least mention it here and there. So I want to clarify something so, that you're saying, this perception. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think
0: you started the perception. Did I? Yes. <laughs> I, I think that you, that's possible more than you might realize, always talk about having not seen a lot of movies. Well, just in comparison to
2: Frank, Right, and you, and now right. Orion, somehow, <laughs> because yeah. Orion, for the longest time, had never seen a movie, and then like t- two thousand five he's he's since like two thousand and five he's become this yeah,
0: he's kind he of soliciting like okay. recommendations and getting movies from people, and then, like now is like, yeah, just the scene it, like everything
2: that's good, good for him, okay. um yeah i I'm you know. I might promote that image a little bit.
0: <laughs> yes. Just, I, just, a little, just a little bit.
2: <laughs> when, when did you first
0: see the uh, Indiana Jones movies?
1: Last year?
2: There's probably Indiana Jones movies that I haven't seen yet. Right?
1: <laughs> Have you seen five Indiana Jones movies?
2: Hell no. Because uh, okay. that's I how many s- there are. I've seen Raiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That might be the only one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've seen the... um. I've seen like that ritual scene from Temple of Doom. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So basically, all I, the
0: entire movie then.
2: Yeah, and I don't like Indiana Jones movies. That's the other thing. Yeah, that that I like to tell people. <laughs> right about movies. Right. Okay, so let me talk about Roman Polanski. I don't know that yeah. very. I don't know very much about him. Um, I I know his criminal history, right? And his reputation as a as a rapist. Mm-hmm. Um and a creep mm-hmm. and a fugitive mm-hmm. and i have seen um rosemary's baby is that the name of it yeah 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 mm-hmm. i've seen that and <clears throat> i did like that um but i don't know if i've seen any of his other movies mm-hmm. um so this so going into this i, I kind of expected maybe just a Um, I didn't even know if it was going to be in English or French or what, because Catherine Deneuve was playing the lead. Mm -hmm. And um, so I expected it to be kind of like Rosemary's Baby, but maybe a little bit more of a foreign feeling to it. Um, Or maybe like a different stylistic feel to it Mm -hmm. since it was earlier. Yeah. Yeah, this is only a second
0: feature, I believe, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yeah, yeah.
2: Kind of amazing. uh, Kind of amazing that that you can have. Well, without getting into everything about the movie, I'm just it's just impressive that it's just a second movie. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was pretty much pretty much what I expected. Um. I didn't expect it to disturb me as much as it did, mm. but I found it quite disturbing. Um, do you want me to go in? I mean, should I go sure, into details yeah. at this point? Or... Yeah, you can. Yeah. Okay. So, should we set it up first, like the plot, or just yeah, jump no, in? Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: That's a good way to do it.
2: Do you want to do it, Frank? Yeah, you want to set ahead, it up Frank. a little bit?
1: You're the summary man. Um, I mean, it's a pretty uh, what's the word I want to look for? Pretty like closed, closed-in movie where it's just kind of following around this young woman who um is borderline um I don't know. Like she's very closed off, very quiet, doesn't really talk much. She's a manicurist in a fancy British nail salon. Um, she has a what you think of the time is like a prospective love interest in this guy that kind of doggedly pursues her. Um, she lives with her sister who she has kind of like a, um, I don't know, a like childlike relationship with where she almost treats her sister like her mother. Um, her sister is dating a married man um, who uh, Carol, that's the Catherine Deneau um, mm-hmm. character is not fond of at all. Um, she finds him repulsive. Uh, you find throughout the movie that she finds most men repulsive, like in close contact. Um, contact. Uh, there's a series of events where she has to be sent home from the salon um, for spacing out, and then for another time, um, cutting a female um, client. Uh, her sister goes away on a vacation with the um, whatever the affair buddy. And then, you know, Carol's world kind of, like, falls apart from there. Um, she starts to hallucinate things in the confines of the apartment, um, that get increasingly more surreal and, um, vulgar maybe, or I don't know, like, sexually aggressive, um, where she fantasizes slash has a nightmare of, like, a man raping her a couple of times in her bed, um. She ends up committing a series of atrocities. I guess we can talk about that later when we talk more about the movie Um, and having like a complete mental breakdown um, until finally her sister and the boyfriend come home and kind of take her out of the apartment. And then there's some other stuff that I want to talk about later when I talk about my theory of like what this movie is. But that's pretty much it. You know, it's a small movie in terms of like the setting and the context Um, mostly a character piece for deno um you know playing this at times like almost blank slate sort of um but with i think a lot of emotion and subtle genius in the way that he films like her face and her reaction to things so that pretty much sum it up yeah good job yeah
2: so um so i really i I did like the movie a lot and um this is like precisely the type of i don't know the type of film from that era that i tend to enjoy um glad that frank recommended it um i like that it's very small and focused and it doesn't you know it tells a, a pretty limited story but it focuses on a on an engaging character and um, you know, it uses the it uses the film medium to its fullest extent. I think you know um, visually, uh, and, and um, um, I guess uh, I'm getting an echo now. Yeah, yeah I just got Maybe. it briefly. So, uh, so <laughs> so ostensibly, it's about this character going crazy, but really, by the end of the film, I felt that it was more about the um. <clears throat> The behavior of men in her life, and more about the the corruption that that men had brought into her world. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I don't know if that's Roman Polanski like projecting some of his. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask if <laughs> you of were surprised intervals. by the content <laughs> of this. Yeah. Compared
0: to what you knew of Polanski, it's it's one of the more fascinating things about this movie to me in hindsight. Yeah. Now, yeah.
2: I agree. Like, let's jump to the end of the film real quick, where um, they finally show a close-up of the family photo. And they show this, this patriarch character that is sitting there smiling, you know, happy as can be, enjoying life. And then Carol is standing next to him, and she's staring at him with anger and disgust. And it's pretty... I mean, I, I, I guess the interpretation there is that, you know, she was his abuser or sorry, I said that backwards. He was her abuser. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, uh, was the original sort of the, the original abuser in her life that, that put her on this path. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. So like when you see that and you think about like what Roman Pulaski ended up doing, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's it's just um it's it's just very strange you you think like was he was he already like was he trying to work something out here was he trying to uh i I don't know i don't know what he was trying to do sure well he's oh go ahead i'm sorry no no like is he talking about himself or is he like or is he seeing, is he seeing these things and does he think that it's like, this is an in, inevitability of masculinity
1: or something? Yeah. So I don't think, he's not married to Sharon Tate yet at this point, right? In 65, yeah. that's yeah. not like 68 or whatever? Right, he's not. Yeah. So it might be, I mean, maybe that is like some, I actually, so what you just said was always my interpretation of the intent of this movie. Mm-hmm. But I actually have a different interpretation after watching it this time, so. Okay. I want to save that until after we've talked about everything, like from your, your perspective. Sure, I'm I'm really happy that you like that you enjoyed the movie too. So, one of my yeah. favorite, movies of all yeah. Time. And just to talk a
2: little bit more about about Carol's character and and Deneuve's portrayal, um, I found her very awkward to watch on screen from the very mm. beginning. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know she she does have this blank slate kind of absent mindedness about her but it's also in the way that she walks the way that she um just interacts with the world around her she seems totally out of place she seems very confused by the world around her um she's living in a completely different world from her sister who is sort of uh kind of has an an opposite persona to hers um the from the very beginning you get the feeling that she's she's really uncomfortable with the world around her and especially uncomfortable with men um and yeah so i don't know like i i just got more and more uncomfortable <laughs> as i watched things happen to her and i watched her mm-hmm. her uh, kind of trying to deal with deal with it and i and i did feel like she had this kind of uh childlike quality to her um even beyond especially with her sister but then even beyond that she was really like she was totally um just not uh integrated with with anything around her she i don't i don't think she understood what the women around her were we're talking about when they're talking about their relationships and, and how they treat men and th- this type of thing. I think that she was just such a, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if victim is the right word, but she had been so corrupted um, by whatever her experiences were that she just couldn't relate to anything around her. And she was just sort of stuck. Um, so yeah like the as the as the film went on and and she's you know with her hallucinations and then the the um eventual uh the eventual murder of the 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 suitor character Colin, i think it was um I think the worst part for me was when uh, when the landlord arrived Mm. and my skin was crawling for that entire episode, like from the point he stepped in the in the door. And for a few reasons, Um, firstly, I was just like, I was just scared that he was going to discover what she had done to um, to Colin Mm. and. Not that it not that it was right for her to do that or anything, or not that I would defend her in any way, but I just couldn't handle the tension mm-hmm. of of him like on the verge of discovering that and
1: at the same time, like talking to her about the rent. You know what's interesting yeah. about that Flitzso is there's a, a part of that scene when he goes into the kitchen.
2: like mm-hmm.
1: he disappears from frame where he kind of makes a noise and something bangs and you think that maybe he's discovered the body, but he's mm-hmm. just like found the dead rabbit or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah I, I completely agree. Like that's a super tense like scene to watch.
2: And, and at the same time, you're, you, you know, you, you've kind of been primed at that point, or at least I was primed that I'm waiting for his lascivious, uh, aggressive abuser side to come out Mm -hmm. and um (laughs) and so and then when it does it's like it's so it's just so upsetting (laughs) um
0: yeah see i actually find the colin scene really like mm. upsetting to watch too when he kind of forces himself in and i don't know why are you doing this to me like you know it it's that's that's a really uncomfortable scene for me to watch for some reason like i don't like even more so than the landlord even though he's no i mean whatever i think both of them like might have raped her potentially but it's like um
1: i'm not really like this this isn't the man that i am right Mm -hmm. right like why are you like this. yes yeah this gaslighting behavior of
0: like you know turning it around like it's her fault because mm-hmm. he can't control himself um that's really uncomfortable and then there's that like and then the the old woman sitting out there like mm-hmm. this kind of like sim like she rec- it's like she recognizes what's happening there and is like watching but she can only stand there for so long um, and then when he notices her, she kind of scurries off. I don't think it's a snooping neighbor. I think it's a woman that recognizes what's potentially going on and is mm. standing there for protection, maybe um as much as she can. but that's a really uncomfortable scene, um, like to watch to me too, that both of that and the landlord, yeah
2: um, and then at the end. i I don't know i think they drive the point home uh where she's she's catatonic Mm -hmm. she's totally helpless um and the boyfriend comes in and picks her up and he's got her in his she he's got her in his arms and he's carrying her out and in that moment of contact with her you see it You see across his face that he's like thinking about Mm -hmm. thinking thinking about having sex with her, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: like thinking about the like enjoying the fact that he's touching her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's so awful.
3: Yeah.
1: Um. (laughs) Yeah, he's an absolute like creep. That guy. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, like it, it, it start. I mean. Yeah, he's no different. Like one he's having an affair, but two it's like even the little subtle things at the beginning. It's it's Michael, right? Is this that character's name? Um
2: I don't remember. I think
0: and like the violation of putting his things in her cup. Mm-hmm. I mean yeah. that's a symbol. Like you know, I mean like um yeah, he's obviously no no better, you know, um yeah. anyway.
2: Yeah. Uh so yeah i mean that's probably most of my thoughts about it um or that's what kind of comes to mind about it but uh yeah it's it's definitely um it's one of those films where it's not it's not that you necessarily enjoy um enjoy seeing these things play out on the screen but you know as a piece of art it Mm -hmm. it gets a you know it it gets a reaction out of you. It, it makes you think about what's going on and and it makes you kind of process the feelings that you're having about what you're seeing. Mm -hmm. So in that way, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, as you know, as far as the, the discomfort of watching it, I mean, that's just, that's just what it is.
0: And and your read on it, I think, is the common read. I would say, um, in the sense that this is a um, sexual abuse victim who, um, you know, has, you know, never processed her abuse is still kind of like in a childlike arrested development state, and um, a lot of the symbolism in the movie of cracks in the wall, of hands coming out to touch from the wall, um. You know, even like the rabbit, like, you know, uh, the severed, ra- you know, rabbit and, you know, like being slight phallic symbols and stuff like that Um, are, are all these kind of like, you know, what is it? What does he put it? Is it the toothbrush and the razor is what he puts in her cup or something mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean um, yeah. that there's like these kind of things like that are violations that are taking place. All of that stuff is she's reacting to Um uh as a product of her of her abuse and um oh she stares early on she's staring out at the nuns um and watching them play um over across the street the church um probably a more apropos life for someone like her um you know in a lot of ways like you know, almost like a enviously like looking at mm-hmm. them and watching them um where she could be safe maybe uh it and I think that's the common read. I'm interested because Frank texted me earlier and said that he had, he and he's watched this so many times, probably like, I would guess, 30-some times, right, in your life, Frank? is Something yeah. like that, probably? 20?
1: It's probably like around 20.
0: Yeah. yeah. So w- what did you take away differently this time? I'm interested.
1: So I don't think that she was ever abused as a child. Um, I think that she has an aversion to the idea of the sexual contact between men and women. And the reason that she's looking at her father like that, because she's either close to an adolescent or like she's a pre-adolescent has discovered like what that is. And it disgusts her that her father is doing that to her mother. Um, so the reason I think that it's not Polanski saying she was molested, there's th- three or four times in the movie where she actually acts like a human being. Um, and this one time when she's talking to her sister in the first scene in their apartment, when she's talking to um her boss, who's an older matronly figure, mm-hmm. and specifically when she's talking to her coworker that's telling her about the Charlie Chaplin movie mm-hmm. and the woman says, Hey, do you you know, like, oh, you know, you should take in a movie to make you feel better and Carol immediately takes it as being like an invitation to go to the movies with her, even though that's not the intent. And she's engaged and lively and speaking until that woman says that she went with her boyfriend and then she immediately shuts down and won't talk about it anymore. So Mm -hmm. the other thing too, is that when she's fantasized, not fantasizing when she's having the nightmare about the rape scenario, it's not explicitly like sex that's happening. It's just domination. So it's the man like ripping her clothes off and pushing her down and laying on top of her. When she's walking in the hallway, like I always interpreted the thing with the hands coming out of the wall as being like revolting to her, but I think she enjoys that because the hands themselves are sexless and it's just like, like when the second scene that that happens, when the hand reaches out and like caresses her breast or whatever, that's a like when you look at it, because I paused it and watched it for a couple times, she has like an air of ecstasy when that happens, not revulsion, like when she's imagining the man laying on top of her so i think that the point that polanski is making is that she's the repulsion aspect is the repulsion of the idea of like a man touching a woman um and that's what causes her to have the psychotic break is anytime you know she's mostly just like catatonic almost until someone puts their hand on her and if it's a female character then she responds in like an open and positive way but any male character is immediate, like pulling back or murder in two cases, right? So,
0: so take that a step and, further. Then, if that is the, in, if you think that's the intent, what is this movie? Is this movie still as pro woman as the common reading is, or like defending of women? Yeah. I, I, I would say no. At that point, maybe. I
1: don't, I don't know. I mean, you have to figure that every relationship that she's exposed to with a man and a woman is a negative relationship. Right. It doesn't mean like her mother and father had a great relationship. I'm just, I'm looking at it more from the perspective. Cause I've always been really unnerved by that. Um, you know, slow zoom into that picture. Like what, what Mike was talking about where you like just focus on her eyes. And it's like, I always took it as being, I don't know, like insane, like that look, right? Like not, But then, I think it really is just, like, anger. I think it's disgust at this guy. And I don't think that that's, I don't know. I mean, again, like, to your point, like, the common read is that's about the fact that that man is the one that, like, took her innocence, kind of. But I don't think that she's necessarily in a state of, like, I don't know that she's childlike. I think she's just rejecting, like, being an adult like she doesn't want to have to deal with the adult things. she just wants to be taken care of and I think she only I mean I even was thinking last night that possibly his implication is that she's some kind of like latent homosexual in that respect that she only like reacts with any kind of like human warmth to like female characters mm-hmm. and I think if the intent was that to show that she was molested I think maybe they would show her just being more negative reactive to any like close contact with anyone but she's she really like comes alive in those scenes i never really thought about it before that that reaction i think is meant to imply that she's just disgusted by men maybe not from what was done to her but what she because you know she listens to her sister and the boyfriend have sex and it like makes her super uncomfortable but when when she imagines the man raping her he's not like touching her chest or kissing her or like you know Mm -hmm. like typical like sexual acts he's just like laying on top of her like smushing her down so I don't even know maybe she doesn't even understand like what sex is I think and I think maybe that's that implication that she doesn't have like an adult understanding of you know fornication or whatever yeah That's the only only time I've ever thought anything other than what Mike said. Because for Mm -hmm. fucking thirty plus years of my life, like of watching this movie, I've always assumed, like, just taken that as being the the read that you're supposed to take. But I don't know. Now I'm not not quite so sure.
2: Um, yeah, I could I could see that. I could see. So I wanted to talk about the Charlie Chaplin scene specifically, and I forgot to bring it up. Um. I don't know. I don't have much to say about it, except that it was to me, it was the one humanizing scene in, in the whole film for her. And it was the only, it was the only scene that made me think that she was even functioning on an adult level Mm -hmm. because like what you say about her not understanding sex or not understanding men, seeing them as as just a scary kind of um, just something to be fearful of that, that to me um, definitely makes sense. I mean, that's, I think, yeah, I don't get the impression that she really understands what's going on that much. Um, I just get the impression that she's, that she's afraid and um, confused and it just doesn't, doesn't like I said earlier, like just doesn't relate, can't relate to the, those types of male, male, female relationships. Um, you know, how she got there, whether it was abuse or it was some sort of like just part of her personality or part of her development or, or maybe her. Um, uh, uh, lack of development. <laughs> um mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I think that could make sense, too.
0: Yeah, I I find that interesting if it isn't abuse. Because the film's, to me, fantastic in its own right as as a film. Um, I've always been interested in the film more in terms of how it relates to Polanski. That's always been one of my fixations, because it's hard for me to reconcile the film and how I viewed it with Polanski. But so if it's not about abuse, and it is about whether it's latent homosexuality or whether it's about like you know just not kind of being disgusted by the idea of sex and not really understanding it in a childlike state, it does it it fits in more. I can reconcile it better with Polanski's yeah life um at that point because it's hard for me to see such a sympathetic take on sexual abuse and then have that happen now i know the man's mind i think breaks you know at some point um after the
2: murders but still um so specifically about that photograph mm -hmm. um so it's interesting the way that frank framed it framed it but it's interesting the way frank framed it because it's it's either it's there to either show you that this was her abuser, or it's there to show you she was always like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Um. Yeah, and speaking of like blank slates, right? I mean, like the photo itself ends up acting as like you know, some sort of like a uh, Rorschach test or something like that. Oh, in yeah, some ways, absolutely. Right. You know, I mean, um, which, uh. Plansky I think Plansky was fond of, right, Frank? I'm thinking of that uh short film that I used to show in class all the time. Um Two oh, Men. Two no and or- yeah. yeah. And like that whole short film, like the ten minutes, like it's it's basically like you can put whatever you want almost into the short film, and I think he was fascinated by that concept. Um you know, he likes the show. I've noticed too, it's like he's he's showing clouds and this in the background at times too. Um I, I think he's really fascinated by the idea that you can put whatever you want into a movie in your reading or interpretation. And that photo, which is that your favorite shot of all time, Frank, or one of them? Uh, it has to be a top five, right?
1: I was thinking that in The <laughs> End of Shining, because I'm a really big fan of that, like, revealing something just through a static shot idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's from from a young perspective, it was definitely a thing that really shocked me that I could be so... Like, absolutely creeped out by just a single picture, you know? Yeah,
0: sure. Yeah. Um,
1: oh, let yeah. me point out something else, too. I forgot yeah. about him. Go ahead. I think her catatonia, like, I think is really, like, one of the most brilliant scenes. That I never really thought about the scene before. When she's walking back from the salon the one time and there's this huge car accident that every other person in the world is, like, gathered around and watching. Mm-hmm. And she just moves past it with absolutely, like, no reaction.
3: Yeah.
1: To the end of the movie where she's the car accident that everyone is gathered around and making aimless comments like, oh, I think I should get the brandy or whatever that old guy says a couple times. But just that completely cut off from the world except when she's in the presence of, like, a a female character that she feels is taking care of her. Because I think that's kind of what is implied with that shop girl that's um she thinks that oh this is somebody that's going to take care of me and other than that like she can't react to anything so I I don't know I, I never really thought about the brilliance of that scene like just that tracking shot of her walking past mm-hmm. like what's obviously a terrible car accident and just ignoring it so
0: yeah that I, I really love the outdoor shots in that movie a lot like watching it again um because by having things going on in the background and uh, you being able to kind of see everything that's happening all around her it, it, it and, and but the camera focuses on her in the foreground like it creates that sense of isolation even more in a visual way um that I really like a lot um and i I'd, i don't i wish i knew just a little bit more cuz like so many people like film stuff going on in the background but um, there's such a clarity to what's going on in the background and the way that he films it that it's it's obvious that it's supposed to show you her distance from the world around her. Um, and yeah, it really creates like a unsettling thing. And then, yeah, the car thing definitely stands out to me—the car accident in those outdoor shots. But there's always stuff going on around her in the background, like
1: what What do you think the intent of the scene with um? colin in the bar with his two uh oh man (laughs) well like
0: i don't know how you don't take that as like a condemnation of men and like sympathetic towards like the idea of this guy like that that that, it's interesting that you bring that up because it's like the one time she's really not involved
1: yeah and then he he immediately wants to go and try and like force himself on her
0: Uh, right
1: because they've called out his lack of ability to, like, steal the deal, so to speak. Yeah. I and mean... he's, he's going to go do it. Like, he's got to prove to himself that he's whatever, like a desirable man.
0: Sure. And with, you know, I Frank, like, I mean, let's be, how, how many times have we seen that situation play itself out, right? Like, yeah. in our lives. Um, it's a very common kind of scenario, like, you know, um, of the guy complaining about like not getting the girl and I'm going to text her or something, you know, I mean, like, um, uh, I, like, I, I see it as as simple. It has to be sympathetic towards like, just the fact that like men are so fragile that they can't take the idea that a woman doesn't want them and then when he's ribbed and made fun of it attacks his masculinity to a point that he has to go and try to force himself into her apartment and you know like and then gaslight her in the sitting there and saying like you're making me act this way um so i i mean even that scene by itself i still think there, there there's something i can't reconcile with polanski's like maybe ideals and, and behavior because of that scene. Like
2: yeah, that scene to me came across almost as a parody. Mm. Um, Like he was almost like making fun of those guys because they were so over the top. And the one guy, especially just comes off as such a nerd. And yet he's got this, this, like this confidence about about what a um like virile man he is and and how and how um i don't know how he's one of the most eligible bachelors in in england or whatever right and it's right it it came across like are these guys are these guys just putting on a show for for Colin, I mean, they're acting like they're, you know, uh, they're they're acting like they uh, are these ladies' men, and they just come off as dorks.
1: Mm-hmm. Which yeah, yeah, it kind of reminds me of. Um, have you seen Chinatown, Bloods? No, I think mm. that's on our list. There's um there's a character in Chinatown that actually is played by Roman Polanski mm-hmm. that's similar in the sense of he's just like this little like rat ratty man who is next to the big tough guy and it gives him like the confidence to like push other people around. I I don't know. I think that that's Polanski mm-hmm. saying about that that kind of person, like the needler or whatever that just like relies on the bigger person for protection.
2: Colin has like Colin seems to have a much more legitimate um I, I don't know it just seems to have a a much more legitimate claim to to um to the stuff they're talking about i mean not i maybe maybe that's not what i mean to say um Colin just seems like a real person who you know is is um is just hung up on this girl. And but but aside from that, like he's you know, he yeah, he has he he loses control at a, a couple points. But you know, like in the scene where he tries to kiss her in the car, he's not being abusive no. or anything like that. Um he's confused and he's trying to figure mm-hmm. her out mm-hmm. and try and like trying to figure out if there's anything there but um but these guys are like the guys that they're like night at the roxberries type characters there's there's like nothing real about what they're what they're talking about at all to me right but yet like that's how they want to portray themselves and that's how like that's their preoccupation is this uh you know whatever you want to call it um over sexualized uh, bachelor
1: life.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I don't blame Colin for anything for a while. It's that scene when he goes to the apartment is where like he kind of yeah. reveals himself. Um, early on, I don't think he's like necessarily see too many signs that he's like a sex pest or anything like that. Um, but certainly that uh, apartment scene is. Um,
2: and yeah, and I don't remember you. You guys were just saying that. Was that scene directly after the scene in the bar like was he do you feel like they were kind of they they pushed him to to act that way
1: it's pretty close after that yeah because it's after he tries to call her on the phone and she walks past him when he's in the phone booth and then he gets frustrated and leaves and goes in the bar to have a pint and that's where they like goad him but she's back at the apartment already Mm mm-hmm Okay. and there, and there
0: might be something with her in between there but it's not long after that that he shows up at the
2: apartment. Yeah. I wanted to I wanted to ask you guys about some of the sound design mm. in in this film. So the music is kind of one subject to talk about but I'm not really too concerned with that. What I noticed was I watched the second well I mean, like I probably watched it in three parts and so the last third when she's in the apartment And like the landlord comes in and all that stuff. I watched that with headphones on. Mm. And during that, I noticed that there was a lot of ambient noise. There was a lot of like kids playing in the background noise from the street, maybe other apartments. Not really sure. I'm not really sure where all the noise was coming from or even what it was, Mm -hmm. but I did not watch the first two thirds of the movie with headphones on. So I didn't know if, that noise was a repeated theme that happened throughout the film, or if it was just at the end um, during that last like 30, 30, 40 minutes.
1: It, it, it happens in other scenes where they have the ambient noise. I think the reason for that is because during the scenes where she's having her hallucinations, they like really suck all the sound out of those scenes. Yeah. And I- that's meant to really like emphasize that it's her having like a psychotic break basically when that happens mm-hmm. um because it takes like the actual like lived in feeling of that apartment out of it and just like eliminates all that noise so yeah
2: I that think, makes sense
1: i i think you're meant to really notice the absence of noise there whereas if he wasn't using the ambient sound all the time you might not it might not be as um noticeable
0: Yeah, I I haven't done a lot of deep research on it. I do know because I was uh, back when I read about it some years ago. um, I think a large part of like beyond beyond the cracking sounds and stuff like that. I remember reading that he recorded people scratching on walls and that's what's going on like when the crack the sound that goes along with the cracks is just the sound of people scratching on walls, um, which I found fascinating. Like that was, that's what's going on there. That's that like noise ambient, almost like ambient noise in the background is that, um, and I remember reading that and it's like, this is 65. And I always think back to like Frank, he's the one that originally told me about this. Like, and I've looked into it more since, but um, you know a lot about Lynch's use of sound design, Frank yeah um from reading books and um it's something like that reminded me of lynch in a lot of ways even though it predates him by 20 years almost um and yeah Yeah. um but yeah i i think that's fascinating so i i have no idea like what he's doing like there, there there's probably other really cool shit that he does in this too that i that i'm not aware of um
1: yeah, there's um, some interesting stuff. I can't remember exactly because it's been a long time, but uh, with the hallway, the hands in the hallway scene, um, with the cracking, like how they um, kind of made those effects. Um, and in particular, like noticing the fact that the cracks are always different. Um, so they go in different directions and they emanate further out from different times. I was trying to think when I was, because I just watched this again last night to prepare. Um, If there's anything that, like, is a, um, maybe an indicator of why the cracks are where they are, like, why she's thinking certain things. Um, But I don't know. But yeah, there's the, I mean, Polanski, really big on sound design. Um, I think from that time period, I know Kubrick gets a lot of credit for that kind of stuff, but I think maybe second to Kubrick from that same time period, just in terms of, like, really focused and purposeful use of ambient sound in his movies
2: yeah it really did remind me of lynch when i was when i had my headphones on because lynch is probably the only director that i'll that i'll deliberately put headphones on to um mm. to watch you know one of his movies um so yeah that
0: yeah Yeah. um yeah ultimately i i think this is i mean it's it's so strange this is to me like in a like i'm trying to think there's a yellow wallpaper frank that this reminds me of to some degree sure um there's another thing that this that, that kind of falls in that like tradition of like the kind of his like hysterical or crazed female um like in a room type thing but um it seems to follow that tradition and it's like you know one of like uh i, I think it's the what what was the thing we watched re- it's a recent movie frank that does something similar of a woman going crazy in a house uh, Something that you liked i don't know i can't remember Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a grand tradition of this of these like isolated movies, like um, or short stories or whatever novels of like you know that are usually like pro woman and um deal with these kind of things um of sympathizing with them, and I've always seen in that tradition. So I've really been sitting here processing the idea that it's not abuse. Um, honestly, like you know, like of of seeing it a different way, and I'll, I'll have to think about it more after this. Um so,
1: but so you've, seen, a- you've seen Rosemary's Baby. You've never have you ever seen The Tenant? Mm,
2: I don't think so. And it's been a while since I saw Rosemary's Baby, so I don't really remember anything
1: about it. So those three movies are triple <laughs> by like in his the way that he creates them and the way that like the order they go in about basically like people going crazy inside apartments. Um by what may or may not be, like, external forces influencing on him. Um, I mean, obviously Repulsion, you know, Carol is being influenced by her own internal demons, but, you know, Rosemary's Baby, it turns out to be an actual, like, coven of Satanists, and then yeah. you're not really ever sure in The Tenant. Um, but it's interesting, because you brought up the the idea of the woman, that in The Tenant, Polanski ends up, He he's the main character in it, the guy that's being, like, kind of set upon by his neighbors, or mm-hmm. he thinks... And ends up um dressing like a woman and taking on the persona right. of the woman who lived in the apartment before I'm like almost like possessed by her ghost. Um if you ever have time, like it's it's not nearly as good as Rosemary's Baby or this movie. Um, but it's it, it's still worth watching and it's got some interesting stuff. Some really uncomfortable stuff and some really influential right. like um shots and framing and the way that he like films things. Mm-hmm. So let me, I, want, I have another question too because you brought it up at the beginning. Do you find it really difficult to watch movies by creators that you or like read books or whatever by creators that you know are deplorable people, like in real life?
2: Um, I I, I would say that my experience with that is limited. I. I didn't find it difficult to watch this movie and get out of it. What I got out of it. I'm, um, but that may be that he's just culturally very like his, his whole story is very culturally remote to me. Yeah. He was not, you know, I mean, he, all of that stuff had already happened by the time. Yeah,
0: six years before we were born. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: so you know woody allen would be another example yeah exactly and i've never really seen many woody allen movies to um reinforce the claim from from earlier in the podcast but Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't think i've ever seen any actually (laughs) right um i might find didn't
0: you watch mighty aphrodite with me at some point or bullets over broadway
2: maybe maybe bullets over broadway the the mira sorvino era Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> i don't I, I i yeah i don't know frank i i just think i have a really limited experience with that i i might i might expect that i would have difficulties with it depending on who it is and what they did it, this this
1: i i can watch polanski and not like i can separate it mm-hmm. but i have not been able to watch a woody allen movie since all those allegations and um, what's her name? Uh, wrote that that article,
3: yeah,
1: about like her experiences with him, his his daughter, yeah. So it's weird. Like, I just have absolute disgust for Woody Allen, can't do it, but for some reason, mm-hmm. plans
0: can, can I, yeah, I propose break. this to you? Um, Frank is not to say that you have sympathy for fucking child rapists necessarily, but considering what happened with the Manson murders. And and then especially things have changed for me a lot with Polanski watching Macbeth years ago when we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Macbeth being like the first movie he makes after Sharon Tate's killed and seeing how he's processing that murder by making f- a fucking movie about, like, you know, from a womb untimely ripped and shit like that, like, in, like, the way the witches resemble the Manson family. Like, I I feel like he was so mentally broken and disturbed that, not that I have sympathy for him, but that's, like, it's hard for me to understand what that man might have went through. And I just kind of, can I just... I try to put it out of my mind and maybe therefore I can separate him from the art better because of what happened in his own personal life before the rape. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I don't
0: don't know if that's how you feel or not, but I mean, I I think that's how I can separate the two
1: more. I don't really think I even process it like that. I think it's just that, I don't know. I think that Roman Plansky did a disgusting thing and then fled from it like a fucking coward. And Woody Allen, like, raped his children for, like, 30 years. So I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's the difference. But and I used to love Woody Allen movies, too. Those are some of my, like, favorite movies from my teenage years.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think, I, I. I I don't have any interest in watching Woody Allen movies, but like I I don't know. That's yeah, it's the your Woody Allen thing. We've talked about it before. I don't want to delve into it again, but I think it's really interesting that like it bothers like it bothers you where some other things don't. Um, I don't really want to watch his movies again, but it it I could.
1: Um, it's also because he puts himself in his movies all the time. True, and he's always like getting over on some young girl. Yeah, and it's yeah. just fucking gross I, and I think he's, that's
0: different too. It's like his stuff's all oh, like Plansky's stuff is always sympathetic
2: towards women. Is does Woody Allen just always put himself over? Yes, yeah, right. yes, yeah. yeah. He's
1: always the old man that's got some twenty year old that's like obsessed with him, wants to have sex
0: with. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think to your point, plus so it's like he's just always putting himself over in every single way. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I I'm trying to think, like, if there's any other thing. Yeah, I can't think of anything you'd be familiar with, uh, whatsoever that might uh, like because you never La- see, because you never seen any movies. I, I, <laughs> I it's 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 hard for me to think of like people that might you might be able to speak to or how about Robert Blake. <laughs> what? Do you can you not watch Lost
2: Highway? I, I'm asking you. Oh, it doesn't bother me. Does yeah, it does it does it enhance it?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know. Have
0: I
2: don't know if I watched Lost Highway honestly since then. When when did the whole murder happen? Mid what year was
1: that, Is that right?
2: Mid was to late two
0: thousands maybe or something like
1: that.
2: It was after Lost Highway. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. After. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So I don't know if I've I've seen it. We've never talked about it on the podcast. Um. So I I don't think I'll we'll never talk
1: point. about Lost Highway on the podcast.
0: Don't don't make promises. For me. <laughs> um. Almost.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. There there. I mean, how many Lynch movies do we have left? Two. I mean, that we have to like watch to like complete. We ain't never just, like whole... Not talking you about what talk about
1: before before you get straight story. Hmm. Um. I don't know it was two thousand one when he killed her. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um.
0: I don't know if I watched Lost Highway since then, honestly. I might have. It might have been once, but I don't think so. Um, if I go back and watch a Lynch, it tends to be, outside the podcast, it's always Blue Velvet, um, Mulholland Drive, and mostly those two, and Twin Peaks stuff. Like, that's, that's it. Um, <clears throat> Lost Highway... Lost Highway feels uh the, 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 like the like the lesser Mahollan drive to me now.
2: Like I can see that.
0: Like it's the same idea ultimately. Um <clears throat> All right. Any final thoughts anybody has?
1: No, I just really glad to watch this movie again. What's um what's our next movie, so
2: I don't know. I have to scroll back in our text messages. I can tell say... you what they are. Okay, there is a uh, Kurosawa's Ron.
0: There is the Good and the Bad and the Ugly. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking tum-
2: tumbleweeds.
0: <laughs> Can't wait. I I'm really interested in seeing what you think about that. There is um filthy the, uh, <laughs> <Tumbleweed in. laughs> There there's the um David Thewlis like uh character piece, naked, and then uh the thing.
2: Oh, I'll do the thing. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's exciting.
2: Okay. Um, that's, that's another
1: movie that Loki I've probably seen like like twenty or thirty times.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No the thing is a re is that a remake? It is. It is from like a early monster movie type film. Yeah. 1950
0: something? Yeah. Fifties. Yeah. I can't remember the year though. Fifty three for some reason comes to
2: mind. I don't know why.
1: What the original. was,
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing that. We'll deal with Tumbleweeds sometime later.
1: You're going to love them. I'm telling you. That movie's amazing.
2: What, The Good and Bad and the Ugly? Yes. I'll watch
1: it if you can get
2: get Chuck to invite me over to watch it with him.
1: (laughs) You gotta have Zeke invite you over.
2: Okay. I'll see if he wants to watch it.
0: Yeah, I I have written down some very brief predictions for all of these movies oh. <laughs> in a in a in a word document for how you will feel about them. And um, did you have predictions for this one? Yeah, I, I, I my my prediction was that you would really appreciate the artistry of it and like it overall. Um,
2: okay,
0: like. Lansky is actually, I think, your kind of director. If you watch more of this stuff, like I think, yeah, that you I, enjoy his movies.
2: Yeah, I, I can, I can definitely see that.
0: Um, it's like, yeah, I, mean, I think you, I think you'll like the thing, and that's, that's it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, so I'll be interested. It,
2: I won't find it as like interesting or yes yeah that's probably a reasonable prediction
0: yeah and i have predictions for the other ones too um but um you might be surprised on the good the bad and the ugly i but um
2: i might that's that's another that's probably my oldest film meme is that i hate westerns that's, right. I've, pro- I've been I've been holding on to that one for a long time. You
0: have, yeah, <laughs> yeah. How many westerns have you seen?
2: None. <laughs> I mean, I saw. Well, I saw Blazing Saddles. <laughs> that's it. Saw Unforgiven, mm. and, and that sucked. <laughs>
1: I know. You're going to really enjoy this movie, I promise.
0: Okay. Unforgiven was top five modern westerns. Um, Like episode, like, I can't remember. 19, you think, Frank, or something?
1: Um, it's going to be a million years. We were yeah. going in the um, dining room. In room the right.
0: dining room at the time, yeah. Like when we did that. Isn't up- Isn't
2: isn't Unforgiven, is Unforgiven one of those movies where people say it's not actually a western, it's some other genre. Like masquerading as a western.
1: That's a really dumb take. (laughs) Yes, Uh, people say that. Yeah.
2: Do people say that though? I don't know. Uh, I never heard people say that.
1: I'm sure they do because everybody wants to like recontextualize stuff so they don't have to say they like something.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's a it's a thing where they say that it is a critique. It's a Western that is a critique of western Oh, they'll say that. It's it's like a a, meta Western. Sure. Yeah. They will say that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I won't uh, even say that we don't say that in our, like, 45 minutes. That, that episode, of the modern Western, is, like, three hours long. I won't even say, like, the 40 minutes we spent talking about that movie that we didn't even, like, talk a little bit about that potentially. But we ended up spending more time talking about Clint Eastwood for some reason.
1: It's, mm. it's 100% like a modern <laughs> take on, like, Westerns. But it's, mm. it's Western. It's a Western. First- it's a Western. Frank's going to bed angry. Yeah. I want to go on to find some people to try and call it something else. <laughs> wait until,
0: <laughs> wait until we do the good and the bad and the ugly episode, and then Frank <laughs> might really go to bed angry that night. Oh, Frank! It's Frank's. Fra- it's one of Frank's favorite nights, Thursday night, and he'll go to bed all angry, like you know, <laughs> I do rhythm. love Thursday
1: night. it doesn't matter if I get no sleep because Friday, once it's over, it's over. Right. Um can't have a bad friday
3: really yeah can't
1: because it ends eventually and then it's
3: yeah i used to
0: love thursday nights as a teenager like because same reason friday like no matter what i could do anything thursday night i could stay up late and then it was the weekend so friday didn't really matter
1: I leave work early every Friday too, so now that could be also be a benefit.
0: Let's say so, hey, how do you feel about Thursday nights. This, Thursday is bef- the- this is before we talk about wrestling with GI Joes and really piss Frank off for the night. <laughs>
2: uh, Thursday nights are nothing special. No, that's just a that's just the Thursday night. I like. I hate Sunday nights. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's pretty universal. Mm-hmm. depressing mm-hmm. <laughs> yes
1: your options are unlimited on Thursday night because the whole weekend is in front of you
2: I don't even understand what that means I still have to get up and work on Friday
1: but it's going to end like on Monday that Friday it's so far away
2: I'll take a Friday afternoon but Okay, I'm leaving Thursday night where it is I'll, I'll give you a Friday
1: afternoon Friday All afternoon
2: alright <sighs>
0: Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back um, with uh, Mike uh, joining us again next month for The Thing. Um, Our next episode will be 204 featuring Saul 2 and Saul 3 as we continue oh. our journey through the Saul movies. Nice. Um, you can hear Frank's excitement there. And that will be the uh, first ones directed by Darren Lynn Bossman, who is a character in the Saul journey that you will soon become familiar with. So thanks for listening, everybody, and have a good week. Jesus. See ya.